0: Well, the last time I preached, I preached on a little book tucked away at the back of the New Testament, and I've chosen to do the same today. So we're going to be looking at Second uh, John. Some of you maybe have never read Second uh, John. It's a beautiful text. Now, at first glance, if we're honest, uh, it looks somewhat irrelevant, right, to our lives. Some unusual circumstances. We're not sure what's taking place in this environment. But I hope to show you that uh, 2 John is actually extremely relevant for our lives, as the Spirit has inspired his text for the church today as well. But to introduce to you the relevance of 2 John, I have uh, four things to keep in mind, four questions. I'd, I'd like to ask you to consider how you would answer these, and also to keep alert for how 2 John will answer them for us. So, this is the relevance of 2 John. Question number one. In a world where many people claim to be Christians and to present what is true, authentic Christianity, there's also Christianity of counterfeit and deception. The question naturally is then, what is the truth amidst a world of deception and counterfeits? What is the truth and how in the world does one walk in the truth? That's what John wants us to identify. How do you walk in the truth? Boy, don't we want the truth today in Christianity Two, what are the non-negotiables in Christianity? So non-negotiable means we don't debate it, we don't discuss it, we're not going to change it, we're not going to subtract it, we're not going to add to it. It is the essential Orthodox Christianity. If you lose it, you lose it to your own peril. What is that? How many could you name? John's going to push his finger on a few that we dare not lose sight of. Three, if love is the greatest commandment, our precious Lord has taught us that in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the summary of the law. How in the world do we do that? <laughs> if we're honest with ourselves, we are prone to hate God and neighbor. So what is, if I can use the metaphor of, a, what is the fuel the energizing resource by which we actually can love the saints. And when John says love one another, I want to clarify from the beginning, he means love the saints. So there might be texts about loving the world, but this text is about loving, loving the saints. So what is that fuel by which we can love one another? John's answer might surprise you. Four, have you ever been enticed by novel and new teachings? Going into a Christian bookstore, for example, someone claiming that they have the latest and the greatest thing to access Christianity, and you're missing something along the way unless you listen, hear, or read what they have. Have you ever wondered if you're missing something in Christianity? If you resolutely say, I'm not missing anything, I have Christ, how then do you respond when people try to spin things, appearing to be on the cutting edge of Christianity? What is a proper response to them? So hopefully you see those questions are extremely relevant for our life as well. And John will address each of those for the benefit of our soul through the power of the Holy Spirit. Before we look at each of the paragraphs in John, I want to step back, though, and introduce a few items related to properly hearing 2 John. And I'll use two Cs. So the first one is concentric circles. And the second is to keep in mind the creeds. When I say concentric circles, it appears to be the case that John's audience has not only received already John's gospel, but they've already received 1 John. And now, with those two texts in their ears, John is giving to them 2 John in a very deep and urgent situation. So, what that means then is when we hear 2 John... To make sense of it, to connect the dots because 2 John is so compressed, we need to bring in the dialogue partners, what they call intertextuality, with 1 John and also John's Gospel. So I'll be connecting some dots here because, well, we may not have heard or read John's Gospel or 1 John. So concentric circles means we have, in the very middle, 2 John. To understand 2 John, we go outside of the circle. To understand, first John will inform us of Second John, and then we'll go out to the farther circle, which is John's gospel. So all of those are very, very useful as us interpreting the text. One thing that's also helpful to keep in mind interpretively is when we get to Second John, and you might say, why do you, why do you think that's the case with these concentric circles? Is because the church is involved in a dire circumstance. John's gospel, as we know, pastor preached through John's gospel, is very much... Concerned to elevate the divine sonship of Jesus Christ. He comes from the Father. He reveals the Father. He is the eternal Son of God. And John emphasizes that at every point. What we know, though, from 1 John is that some people have gotten wind of John's strong emphasis on the divine nature of Christ and are starting to deny, belittle, neglect the true humanity of Jesus Christ. So when we go into 1 John, we see that this has become a rather interesting issue, and John, in a sense, is giving field notes to John's gospel, how to hear it and how to respond properly, because there are deceivers who have gone out into the world. Now, we know from church history and from reading 1 John that we have some clues as to who these people are who are ripping apart the church. Typically, scholars will call them proto-Gnostics. Or sometimes they're called docetis, which is dokete, which is the Greek word for to appear. And so what these individuals presumably believed about Jesus, and we have one in particular, his name was Corinthus. This was his belief that the eternal son of God didn't want to mess with humanity because for Gnostics, matter and flesh is evil. Inherently evil. It's only the divine, the spiritual, the immaterial, which God actually blesses and loves. So that led them to believe that the eternal Son of God only came upon the human of Jesus Christ at his baptism, and right before he went up to heaven, the divine Son left again. So this is what they're spinning. We don't need the true humanity of Christ. We want the spiritual, and they believe that they were inspired deeply by the Holy Spirit and were on the cutting edge of Christianity. Now, you can imagine coming into a church and these teachers and deceptors saying, we've gone past that. We don't need the humanity of Christ. We are inspired by the Spirit. And so we're moving beyond and we have something new to offer you. Well, this was ripping apart John's church. And you can read this in First John. So there's actually a schismatic in the church. There's two factionist groups. And we sense in First John that one of the groups has already left the church. So the church is under severe duress. <clears throat> and John wants to counter and tell them these are marks by which you know whether you belong to Christ and those who belong to the world. John, of course, his three marks are that you believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, two, that you love one another, and three, that you realize your sin and follow God and his commandments. You live a life of righteousness. So John has those tests. You can hear a little bit of those tests as I was reading the text here in 2 John as well, especially related to the humanity of Jesus Christ. So, perfectionists, People who had insight, people who thought we could move past the core and essence of true Christianity, and this is what John wants to address. However, in 2 John, by the time we get there, what we realize is there's two groups, one group has already left, there's still some healing that needs to occur in the churches to which John is writing, but at this point now, the deceivers, false teachers, are knocking on the door. They're wanting in, and they want to spread this denying Jesus' true humanity and believing they've gone past loving one another and they have new insights into Christianity. I hope you can see even in that brief sketch that this is not a very irrelevant text for us today. So as we work through uh, 2 John, we're going to be bringing in 1 John and also John's gospel to interpret the text well and realize the situation has gotten quite severe. We're not preaching on 3 John, but just to keep you aware in Third John, it's even gotten worse. Because John is sending his emissaries to address the church, and so John sends spokespeople on his behalf, and guess what's happening within the church? There is an individual there who says, do not receive John's emissaries, and if you do, I will cast you out of the church. So we're dealing with some severe circumstances. Some of this leads scholars to think this church is in desperate, desperate need, and it may not well survive. However, you're going to see John has a lot of hope and confidence. And his hope and confidence is in the great grace of God that's working. And that is always our comfort and comfort, consolation and hope as we face these sorts of issues. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. That's the first thing. The concentric circles as we interpret 2 John. We want to hear it in light of 1 John and John's gospel. The second thing is creed. And what do we mean by creed? Well, pastor has been very helpfully walking us through Matthew's gospel. And if you recall what he's been preaching on the last two weeks... John the Baptist sends people to Jesus to say, are you the one, or should we look for somebody else? And you remember, of course, we we listened to that sermon very helpfully, and Jesus has said, of course, I am the one. And he shows it by his deeds, his wonders, confirming that he is the true and eternal Son of God. But Jesus also says something very interesting, which is, he who is least in the kingdom of God, now that the Christ event has been inaugurated, he who is least is greater than John the Baptist. What in the world does that mean? And this pastor helpfully told us, well, what it means is now that Christ has come, we see and know more than anybody in the Old Testament did. The gospel is no longer hazy. It's gained full force and clarity. We have seen the cross. We have seen the resurrection. We have seen the life of the spirit. We know the gospel clearly. Something that John and the prophets longed to see with clarity. What that means, though, is in this new age, the kingdom of God... That's non-negotiable. The teaching of Christ regarding entry into his kingdom and the apostolic foundation. So Christ is the cornerstone and the apostles teaching us about Christ. That's their their mission. That's their ministry. Now, as Pastor mentioned, what do the apostles teach us? This is related to the creed. We would call it the apostles' creed. It's a summary and substance of the gospel. This is the non-negotiables. When we looked at Jude, excuse me, we saw earlier that there was a line in the Apostles' Creed that was being questioned. And I'd like you to open up to your bulletin real quick and look at the Apostles' Creed very briefly. Sometimes it's good to see it and also to hear it. As we were looking at Jude, one of the lines says, I believe in, and then it is the forgiveness of sins. And Jude wants to address that because false teachers... We're saying, hey, we're forgiven, we can live as we please. They had an inadequate view of Jesus Christ and an inadequate view of the forgiveness of sins where God grants us renewal of life. So Jude addresses that. We looked at that in the last sermon, but I want to draw your attention to what John says is non-negotiable, and he's going to bring in a couple other lines of the apostles' creed. So toward the top, you say we we would say, He we believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. But then you see there, born of the Virgin Mary. True humanity of Jesus Christ. You might wonder, why is that so important? (laughs) And so this is what John is going to sketch out for us. The true incarnation, Jesus coming in the flesh, is vital for our faith. And it's also vital for the way we relate to each other in love. Without the incarnation, love cannot occur. We'll look at that in short order. But also toward the bottom it says, I believe in the communion of saints. That's also under attack in John's letter. They think they've gone past loving one another. They have something new. There's something better than love. And so John wants to say, no, the communion of saints is love characterizes true saints in Christ. So John's going to address forgiveness of sins. He's going to address the true humanity of Jesus Christ. And he's going to address uh, the communion of saints alongside the forgiveness of sins. So... Those are the, one of the reasons why we continue to recite the Apostles' Creed. It's what we believe, but it's the sum and substance of the gospel. It's what we embrace in our hearts because it's life-giving to us. And we've already mentioned, if you don't want to memorize the Apostles' Creed, you could memorize the whole of the book of Acts because it's just the sermons and Acts in summary form for us in the gospel. Uh, related to the creed, though, and you can see outside on our church board, it says guilt, grace, gratitude. So, John is an apostle. He certainly follows that. We know Paul follows that. Jude's going to follow that. Peter's going to follow that. Just be aware that John and Peter are different than Paul. Paul sometimes has a more of a systematic, logical approach. Guilt, grace, gratitude, and strict order. With John and Peter, it's kind of a ping-pong back and forth as they please. So, what I'd like to do is, you're looking at the bulletin, just to highlight where we see grace and where we see gratitude. So, verses 1 through 3 of 2 John is, is grace, so if you just want to mark the side there, we have the grace of God. And I've mentioned that's the optimism that John has because of what God has done for them in Christ. So 1 through 3 is pure grace. 4 through uh, 6, and this doesn't surprise us, from grace, it leads to gratitude. So now the loving response for what God has done for us in Christ is to gratefully love one another. So 4 through 6 is gratitude. And then 7 through 11 essentially is going to go back to Grace. Back to grace. Uh, Because of time, I'm not going to focus on 12 through 13. It's there for you. It's what we would call a closing greeting. And for the sake of time, I won't spend time on that issue. But I want us to focus primarily on the first three uh, paragraphs to look at the relevance that John, John has for us. Okay, so the first paragraph, it says, The elder to the chosen lady and her children. What is that? Well, first, let's start with the elder. Church tradition unanimously, consistently tells us the elder is John the Apostle, the brother of James. Consistent church tradition tells us that, and you might say, well, how do we know? Well, we know it also from internal testimony as well, because if you look, if you read 2 John, you're reading 1 John, and you're reading John's gospel attributed to John. So John is the elder. Why does he call himself the elder? Well, in the Jewish world of the synagogues, the religious leaders in the synagogue were called elders, presbyteros. And so the church takes over that term, and that's why today the elders in Jerusalem church should be the spiritual leaders, overseers caring for your souls. And so that pattern will continue, but also elder might not only be a religious leader or authority over the churches, of course, which John would rightly take as his jurisdiction, but it also sometimes means someone who's aged. So in Philemon, when Paul's writing to Philemon, he calls himself Paul now the elder. And so Paul is aged has grown in seasons of life, fought a good pilgrim fight. He is aged in the Lord. And so it could well be the case that John is pulling on two different concepts there. He's not only an elder religious authority in the church, but he also uh, is aged. The chosen lady and her children. Um, If you've read John, you know that John often uses language that's symbolic or metaphorical. It could be a lady but likely it's not a specific lady because her children doesn't make much sense of the text or nor does it make sense of 1 John. So the church is compared to a woman. It's compared to the bride of Christ. And of course, Christ's church is elect. Christ has grabbed them out of darkness by his sovereign pleasure according to the counsel of his will and elected them into eternal life. So this would be a church or churches and the congregants in the church who claim Christ. Okay, now let's look at the rest of this paragraph. It says, Whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which remains in us and will be with us forever. And then at verse 3, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father in truth and love. Now this is where I have to step back and say, to understand the text, you have to know 1 John. Because this is a little bit difficult to unravel. John has a lot of, what words? Truth Love brings them together in an interesting and unusual ways. So please bear with me as I explain this to you, and this is going to be very helpful for interpreting uh, 2 John. <clears throat> How does truth, love, following God relate? So think of it this way. John, To understand John's theology is to understand an unbreakable chain, a golden unbreakable chain that has three links. So, catch these links for John. And you can map this back to 1 John. You can map it back to John's Gospel. The first link is the one you have to enter. If you don't enter through this link, you won't have the other two. That is truth. Now, for John, truth is a person. Christ, full of grace and truth. When you embrace Christ, you embrace the Father, the Father of truth. And, of course, John loves to call the Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. So when you enter John's theology, John's world, you enter through truth, that actually is to receive Christ. Receiving Christ, we want to be very clear, because John is very clear, to receive truth is to receive Jesus, is to embrace him by faith alone. That is the only way you get into that chain is embracing Christ. That's the reason John wrote his gospel. They know this. John says, I've written these things that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you'll have life in his name. As many as we believed him, received him, those God gave the right to become children of God. So belief in Christ, embracing Christ, means you've just embraced truth. So truth is the person of Christ, which is also the Father and the Spirit. But truth is also a proposition for John. And by a proposition I mean, Jesus says, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth which means whatever this Father speaks, the content of his utterances is truth. I think that's somewhat relevant for us already because many people today will say, Jesus, I have an experience of Jesus, I love Jesus, and you say, okay, that's the person, tell me about Jesus. Very little is said. Well, you don't know the person until you can tell me something about the person. So for John, it's not simply to say, I embrace Christ, it is you embrace Christ, this about him. Again, back to the Apostles' Creed. born, The Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, suffered, died, raised. These are things for John that are non-negotiable. So truth is entering and embracing the person, and it's also embracing the propositions, the, the, the two Ps. So truth is both the person and the proposition. Now, that's the first link, and you have to enter in through the embracing of Christ by faith. But you're going to see what happens very quickly in John's theology when you embrace truth. But again, think of it this way. You go to an airport, you go into the revolving door... We're going to go into the revolving door. You have to go in through the person of Christ, receiving him by faith. So anybody today who is hearing the call, as John will say, to love one another, you can't possibly do it unless you have fellowship with the Father and the Son, which comes by receiving Christ through faith. You haven't done that, you will not be able to experience love or following God's command. So this is the entryway. This is the unbreakable link that John has for us. Now, what's interesting, though... When you accept truth, the person of Christ, to possess Christ is to possess the Father, which is to possess the Spirit. And that's very deep Johannine theology. We don't have time to unravel it, except Jesus says briefly, if you receive me, you receive the one who sent me. And we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, as 1 John tells us. What that means, then, embracing the truth is embracing the triune God in deep fellowship. Now, this leads to our next link. So if you embrace the Father, Son, and Spirit in true fellowship... The Father, Son, and Spirit live a life of mutual love. You want to know what love is? It's God. God loved the Son. The Son loves the Father. And you see this throughout John's Gospel. So what that means is those who embrace Christ by true faith, the second link then naturally is love. You can't help but. This is where gratitude goes. So faith in Christ leads to, flows into love. So one of the marks for John is if you love one another truly that means you've embraced Christ by true faith. If you don't love one another that's a test because you can't help but be in the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit and not love because it's an inner Trinitarian harmony of mutual love. So saints reflect that love because they've been born of God. They're in a new family not in the family of the world which is a world of hate. They're in the world of God which is a world of of love. So that's the second link, is love then. Love is a necessary response and gratitude to what God has done for us in Christ. The third link, and these last two links are very closely associated, and you know this from Jesus, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what is love? It's not just loving, as John says, in word or in tongue. It's loving in deed, which is loving God and loving your neighbor. What does that look like? Again, the elders here at Jerusalem Church are trying to do you a great service by giving you the Heidelberg because it's razor-sharp and crystal-clear and follows John well, which is simply the Ten Commandments, loving God and loving your neighbor, not simply the don'ts, but also in the commandments, the do by the Spirit, which is universal flourishing and life. So to receive Christ is receiving the truth, which flows into love, which flows into following God's commands. And these are, the, that's, these are the tenets that John lays out. If you want to identify true and counterfeit Christianity, these are the tests by which one can identify that. By the way, this is very comforting and encouraging for saints because this is all by the Spirit, by being united to Christ. But if you see love for one another in following God's commands, that's then assurance that you're walking in the truth. It gives us comfort. And John wrote 1 John to give them comfort and assurance that they belong to Christ. So it's a beautiful, beautiful tapestry. Or as you've converted it to, it's a beautiful, a beautiful chain. So that's important to keep in mind as we work through the rest of the text here, is the way John perceives the embrace of truth by faith, then love, which flows out of that, which is specifically in following God's commands. Okay, verse 3, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. As I've mentioned earlier, this is a church that's fractured and divided and has people, false teachers, knocking on the door. Big trouble. Big trouble. It's a world that looks fallen and broken. The church itself might not survive. But look at John's hope and confidence. It's in the great grace of God. This is the confidence of Jerusalem church. We are imperfect and we are weak, but we have a strong Christ and the glory of God to sustain us. This was also what we saw in Jude. He calls them to the end to see that what's going to keep them from stumbling is God and his great grace. So John has... Optimism and confidence, I wouldn't be able to offer that in light of these circumstances, but John has a strong view of God's sovereign pleasure and his glory, and God will do this in the the life of the church. May that be your comfort and encouragement today. You're going to love, it's going to be because of the grace of God, the mercy and the peace that he grants to each one of us. So the elders of Jerusalem church are optimistic and hopeful in God's great promise and grace. We are hopeful that when the word is preached and you hear the good news of the gospel, it bears fruit in your life. That's why we're here, because we believe in the truth of the gospel, and it's our life. Okay, so that is the grace, the unbreakable chain, and the grace of God that gives us optimism for the future. Now we get to verses 4 through 6. John says he's overjoyed to find some of the children walking in truth, just as we received a commandment to do from the Father. So we're starting to make sense here of the chain, but what I want to just very quickly alert you to is that for elders, John, also for the elders of Jerusalem Church, we, re- we have no greater joy than when you're embracing Christ and looking at the, staring at the gospel, receiving the gospel on Sundays, reading the gospels, meditating on Christ, because we know that that is the power the Spirit uses in your life to help you love one another. So John rightly says that is so joyful because you walking in love shows that you're embracing Christ in the good news of the gospel. However, he does say some of your children, which means not all of them, (laughs) are walking in love. So we we see a little bit of the guilt there. Now, into verse 5 and 6, keep in mind what these radical false teachers are saying. They've moved beyond. They have something new. And what does John do? He's going to take them back to the timeless truth that Jesus has given them, which is to love one another. So he says, I ask you, lady, not as though I was writing a new commandment, but the one which we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. I marvel at that because as a teacher with students covering a variety of fields, I always like to put a new spin on things, a new angle, probe deeper, find something nobody's found before. And John is well qualified. If anybody's going to do that, it would be John. And look what he does. He takes us right back to the core teaching of Christ. He will not go past it. And I think that's an important call for us today in our churches, too, because sometimes we think I'm missing something. What is the essence of true Christianity? What is the mark? What must I do by grace? Love. Simple, razor sharp, and John's not going to go past it. Uh, We have a temptation to go past it. So today, by the Spirit, beautiful thing, you embrace Christ and you love one another. That is the essence of true Christianity, to love the saints. Countless ways. I, I want to say, though, on behalf of the elders, we have been overjoyed by the way you're hearing the gospel and it's expressed in gratitude with your love for one another, relationship to what everybody's talking about, which is the virus. We've seen, and it's greatly encouraged our hearts, you love one another, bend over backwards, take on discomfort, take on masks for the sake of loving each other. And that tells us you're embracing the good news of the gospel because that's what Christ did for us. (laughs) And then gives us the power to do that. So what a wonderful thing. I want to encourage you. But also John has the siren call to continue to love one another, and that means to walk according to his commandments. So John says, don't just love in tongue or in word, but also to love in deed, which is to follow God's commandments specifically. Again, that's why we have you memorize the Ten Commandments, because those are clear and practical ways to follow God in love for uh, your neighbor. Now, that's interesting, and John is dealing with a second chain link there. But what's interesting is what happens next in verse 7. So I want to draw your attention to that. <clears throat> so he says, love one another. And then he has a 4, a Hati, in verse, the beginning of verse 7. And it's very, un, it's very weird at first glance to say, okay, you're telling me to love. Now why are you talking about the incarnation of Christ? So that's what we want to look at. But he says this, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh... This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we've accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. So John is calling them to hold tight to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Do not let that go. And these false teachers are spinning off new and novel things. So John continues, Anyone who goes too far and doesn't remain in the teaching of Christ, if you don't possess Christ, if you possess the truth, you don't possess truth, and you don't possess, you don't possess the Father or the Spirit. So you don't have God, and the one who reminds him the teaching of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Now look how firm John is. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the true humanity of Jesus Christ, don't receive him in your house, don't give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Why would John say they have evil deeds? Well, if they deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that's truth, the first link, Therefore, they're not going to have love, the second link, and therefore going to live a life of evil deeds. And John says the minute anybody denies core essential truth about Jesus Christ, they have destroyed the gospel. And they can't participate and help in any way in the life of the church. It's antithetical. And you see different apostles dealing with this at different ventures throughout the New Testament age. But here on this one, John will not budge. We dare not lose the humanity of Jesus Christ, his full incarnation, body, and soul. Now, the question, though, is, remains as to what's the relationship, what's the link between loving one another and holding to, true, holding to Christ's true humanity? Now, you could say, well, the link is this. The churches dealing with schisms. Now they have people knocking on their door. They just have to huddle up and love. But and Theolo- John's theology is deeper than that. Let me read you a passage from 1 John and see if you can catch the connection between Christ's true humanity and loving one another. It says this, By this the love of God was manifested. God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we may live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins frees us up by his cross and resurrection, his true humanity, to truly love, because we're born again of God. So that cross is vital. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. And this is the commandment we have from him. The one who loves God should love his brother also. So how does the incarnation of Christ relate to loving one another? Two ways. If Christ did not assume true humanity, we do not see the love of God manifest for us in real space and time. It's a shimmer. It's fake. It's in the clouds. He had to die a true human death on the cross to blaze the way to renew us. So in his cross and resurrection is our cross and resurrection. His resurrection is our resurrection, raised to new life. And if his humanity did not experience that, we experience none of it. So in order to really live a life of love, you have to be born of God, which only comes through his humanity demonstrated on the cross and the resurrection. So our redemption relies on his incarnation. Our ability to love relies on his incarnation. But John will also say in John 14 through 17, greater love has no man this than a man lay down his life for his friends. And I've shown you an example that you should follow my example as he washes their feet. So not only does Christ's incarnation provides the means by which we can be born again of God, and if not, we're not born again, but it also is a pattern or an example for us. You want to see love? Read the Gospels. Every moment as Christ touches, heals, speaks, moves, you're seeing the love of God manifest in tangible space and time to demonstrate his love and to show us the pattern by which we then love others. So that is the connection. If you do not love one another, it's because you have an inadequate view of Jesus Christ or you're not chewing and meditating deeply on his glory and his worth. So this is, I know this is very counterintuitive, but back to John's links. If my child came to me and said, Dad, so this is practical. I'm having a hard time with somebody in Jerusalem church. I'm having a hard time loving them. If they did something to me on the playground. This is hypothetical. This hasn't happened. So what am I going to say to them? Now, remember John's chains. If the issue is they need to love, am I going to say to them, try harder, do better. Come on, you can do this. Pull yourself your Just get out there and love them. That's, that's not going to happen. That's not John's theology. So John's theology is, if there's an issue with love, you step back and focus and meditate on the what? The true humanity of Jesus Christ. What he's done to redeem us which leads to gratitude, and also giving us an example of what love looks like. And I say counterintuitive because typically when you say love one another, we want to actually do something first, jump in. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ has done it for you. And that is the meat by which the Spirit works to inflame our hearts with love for one another. So John takes them back to the gospel. So we would be wrongheaded if we said to you at Jerusalem Church, John's telling you to love just love. That's not the means by which love comes. It comes by embracing Christ in faith and hearing the good news of the gospel about his true deity and his true humanity. Are you meditating on Christ? Are you focusing on him? And again, it's counterintuitive. You have someone at Jerusalem church you're having a hard time loving? I would stop and say, think of Christ. Meditate on him. Run to church where you're going to hear the good news of the gospel because that's the means the Spirit uses in your life to love one another. Read the Gospels. Meditate on Christ. Focus on Him. Run to church and hear the Gospel every day. Let your friends give you the Gospel every day. Meditate deeply on the true truth of Christ who inflames our hearts with gratitude to love and follow Him.